0: Um, my thema vanaand gaan wees tight and I will switch to English time what is time and um, for those who want to follow in Afrikaans Bible we will be Prediker 3 verse 1 tot 8 English Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 to 8 but let's start with a prayer Our Father in heaven May your name be holy, may you be glorified through our worship tonight. Lord, when we look at how magnificent you are we look at the creation and we realize how significant we are. You are eternal, we are mortal. Um, We can only ask like David, what's the importance of man that you even pay attention to us? Yet you appointed us as Christians, as people, to rule over your creation. You showed your love to us, so much so that you were prepared to become a human and come and die on a cross uh, for our sins so that we one day can enjoy fellowship with you again. Lord, open our ears. Let the Holy Spirit convict each of us as to the truth of your word and let each of us see the implications of your word in our own lives. May I remember what you want me to remember, Lord. May I forget what you want me to forget. In Jesus' name, amen. Time. Um, People have been trying to understand the nature of time for thousands of years. Nobody has really been able to explain it. Uh, Augustine, the famous Augustine, about 400 after Christ, he said, What is time? If no one asks me, I know. But if any person require me to explain it to him, I cannot. Uh, And about 1,600 years later, the uh, English philosopher and mathematician, he's done a lot of theoretical work on time, uh, Alfred Wydate, he could only add his own frustration to Augustine's when he said, it's impossible to contemplate time without being overcome by the sense of how limited human intelligence is. Now today, We've got cesium uh, atomic clocks. These things are quite accurate. It's about one second in 10 million years. And maybe you know there's 24 satellites being used for GPS navigation. Each one of them has got an atomic clock on board. But these satellites move around the Earth at about four kilometers per second. So uh, these highly accurate clocks still need uh, adjustment. Because if you go and understand, if you understand a little bit about the relativity effect that Albert Einstein tried to explain to us, the clocks in these satellites run faster than clocks on Earth, so they have to be adjusted all the time. But let's look at some of the attributes of time. Um, time cannot be stored. It would be great if somehow you could bank all the time that you wasted. Um, Maybe when you were younger and you were standing in queues or maybe you were just daydreaming. I don't know, whatever your favorite way is of wasting time. And if you could bank it, and one day when you're old and you think, you know, there's all these things I should have done and I never did, and if you could withdraw that time and use it then. But that's not how it works. Unused time is lost. It's gone forever. You cannot lend out time. Uh, Each person lives out their own time. You can lend out money and goods, not time. And everybody has got exactly the same amount of time each day. The CEO of the biggest company, uh, the uh, beggar on the corner, uh, the missionary in Syria all have exactly the same 24-hour days. They just use time differently. And You know, it's almost as if we're all sitting on a conveyor belt of time, dragging us along into the future. We all travel at the same speed. Uh, nobody can overtake anybody else. Nobody can get left behind. I guess when you die, you fall off the side of the conveyor. But only God is not sitting on the same conveyor as us. God is independent of time. It is as if he's looking down on this conveyor, and he can see all of time at once, at a glance. And uh, that's why Peter could say in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, with the Lord, one day is says a thousand years, and... uh, one day is as a 1,000 years and 1,000 years as one day. So the Lord just sees a whole conveyor of time all at once. Now time flows only in one conveyor, uh, in one direction. This conveyor can't be reversed. You can go back to the place where you've been born many times. But you can't go back to the time you've been born. And uh, time cannot be skipped. These science fiction writers all try and come up with these stories about you know, how you can go into the future and come back. It's just fiction. Time cannot be stopped. There's some people nowadays that spent a fortune to be deep frozen when they die with the hope that once science have improved enough, they can be revived again. I've got news for them, it ain't gonna work. Human isn't just biology. We've got a body and a soul, and souls don't get frozen in liquid nitrogen. Ain't gonna work. Now we understand uh, how to calculate time increments very accurately say, to almost a billionth of a second already. But how does time relate to us as humans? Now, you know, most Simons agree, time did not exist forever. That's an interesting term. Time did not exist forever. It almost doesn't make sense, but it's true. Time came into existence at the same time as matter and space was created by the Creator. So if you want to know more about time than what we can measure using, I guess, uh, physical instruments, we have to go to the Creator and ask Him uh, this question How does it relate to us as people? Now, fortunately, in His book, the Bible, the Creator has given us lots of relevant information as to how time relates to us. Now, in case you wondered, I didn't forget to read my scripture passage. I was just waiting for the right time to read it. <laughs> so uh, let's read Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 to 8 from the ESV. Uh, the words will also be on the screen. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, time to die. Time to plant, and time to pluck up what is planted. Time to kill, time to heal. Time to break down, and time to build up. Time to weep, and a time to laugh. Time to mourn, and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. time to seek, time to lose. time to keep and a time to cast away. time to tear, time to sow. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Rolf read from job 14. Um, now we learn from that passage, if you remember, um, the extracts of it is on screen again. Um, basically, what that passage learns us is that as humans, time is a unique measure for beginning and end. It's determined and allocated to each one of us by God. Man who is born of a woman is few of days. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. His days are determined, and the number of his months is with you. And you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Now Jesus expressed the same principle, actually, if you think about Matthew 6, 27, when he asked a rhetorical question, and he said, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? By definition, you have a span of your life. There's a time that just going to end, and it's predetermined. I think how we live, uh, maybe especially with regards to things like drugs, alcohol, these vices, you can reduce, maybe reduce the lifespan that's been allotted to you, but you cannot extend your life past the limit set by God. You simply can't. Now, that poem we read in Ecclesiastes 3, I just want to very quickly point out one or two things there. Um, each pair of those lines, and there's 14 lines, so that's actually uh, double the perfect number of seven that you often see in the book of john for example the biblical perfect number of seven um, but each pair is me- forms what's called a merism and it's two opposites which make up a whole so when the bible says god created heaven and earth doesn't mean he created a heaven and an earth and nothing in between it says he created everything from heaven to earth he created the universe that's what it means and these this poem works the same way so um, when, when the poem talks about birth, death, it really talks about your whole existence, beginning to end. Um, when it talks about weeping, laughing, it talks about all of the emotions that people can experience. So basically, this poem called covers all of human experience, from birth to death, from war to peace. I think a biblical understanding of time begins really with understanding that God is sovereign. Um, Everything that happens in this time-bound universe created by God is under the authority of God. Nothing happens outside of the will of God. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter in heaven. That was the first verse in that uh, thing. Now here's some of the things that happened just in the last second. All under the heaven, all under control of God. In the last second, the earth traveled 30 kilometers on its path around the sun. million red blood cells were formed in your bone marrow. Uh, Four and a half babies were born. Those of you that don't like working with half babies, that means nine babies every two seconds. (laughs) Um, And 1.8 people died, of which only 11% were Evangelical Christians. Put differently, more than 96 unsaved people die every minute. even if I use the broadest possible definition of Christianity, it would still mean that since I started the sermon, 800 people died not knowing the Lord. Now, where's Sean? You can stop frowning. It's not a causal relationship, but it's just the time that I've been talking up to now. 800 people died without knowing the Lord. God is sovereign over time. He regulates our minutes and seconds. He rules all our moments. There's nothing in life that happens without God's supervision. I mean, there's a passage that even says the hairs on your head are numbered. By definition, if one falls out, God has predetermined that hair will now fall out. Otherwise, he wouldn't uh, know the number. God has got authority over space and time. He puts everything in the right place at the right time. And um, we see that, for example, uh, in the changes of season, summer turning into autumn, uh, then the coming of spring after winter. The passage spoke about it as well. But this rhythm of creation testified to the ordered nature of the Creator. Um, so in Ecclesiastes 3, we see that the sovereign order applied to human activities and relationships as well. That everything that poem deals with. And as the preacher says, um, for everything there's a season. He's not talking about just the four seasons, something will happen in summer or in winter. He's really saying there's an exact time for everything that happened under heaven. So in this sense, a season is a predetermined event, a happening. Uh, To put it very simply, God does everything at just the right time. Now I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson, but there's two words in Greek being used for the word time. One is chronos, chronograph, watch. The other one is kairos. Kairos is sort of these events, these seasons for things happening in the timing of God. God doesn't have a watch because he's not bound to time, but he does understand when certain things have to happen in your life. There's actually many people that don't like this poem. Um, they prefer a one-dimensional God. They, they like to think of God giving a life, uh, but not appointing the, the time of your death. Uh, they want to see God planting and bolding, not uprooting and tearing down. But you can't think of God in parts we must consider his complete character. Um. There's a time for God to let people die, as well as a time for him to heal. There's a time for capital punishment. There's a time for good medical care, saving lives. There's a time for sick people miraculously recovering. There's a time for people being called home early. Now, this holistic God that makes everything on earth happen is part of what we call God's perfection. Some would say attributes. I like the word perfection better. And it's how he sovereignly deals with us humans. God said in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 39, and many people don't like this verse, but it's a, um, I think it's one back, maybe. Yeah. See now that I, even I, am he... There's no God beside me. I kill, I make alive. I wound, I heal. There's none that can deliver out of my hand. God, there's nothing in this world that can happen without God's knowledge or permission, so to speak. Now, so God is not an either or God. He's a both and God, depending what the time is. According to God's schedule, uh, there's both a time to love and a time to hate. Many people like to think of God as pure love without considering the truth of his wrath. But God's hatred of sin is one of his attributes. It's one of his perfections. And it's right for God to oppose every wicked deed and to judge evil. We can see this in many places in the Bible. Uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, one good example is Proverbs 6, uh, verse 17 to 19. Uh, I think you're one too far. Go one up. One back. Okay, maybe there's a few missing. I'll read it. Um, There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Now, haughty eyes is somebody that's proud or arrogant. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These are things the Lord hates, not dislike, He hates it. And remember, Jesus Christ is also the Lord of time. He rules this uh, universe of sovereign authority over time and eternity. But Jesus was a Savior that always knew the right time for everything. There was a time for Him to be born. If you look at Galatians 4 verse 4, I don't know if it will come up, but anyway, I'll just read it. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When the fullness of time had come, at a predetermined time, Jesus came to earth, became a human. It was also a day appointed for him to die. He died on that day, not a day earlier, not a day later, on the day that he was meant to die. We know the religious uh, leaders wanted to kill him much earlier, they were plotting against him, but they were not able to crucify him until the they that God predetermined, Jesus had to die on the cross. Before that time, and we see a lot of, especially in John, the book of John. For example, John 7:30, we see um, before that time his hour had not yet come. Literally down to the hour, it was predetermined when Jesus would die, and when that hour did come, he did die on the cross for each one of our sins. Paul writes in Romans five or six, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. But Jesus arose at the right time too on the third day. The Scriptures had promised, and for example Isaiah six verse two, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples this is what would happen: he would, be, he would rise again on the third day. During his earthly ministry, Jesus knew the right time for every activity. And. Uh, There was a sermon this morning, uh, John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He was busy planting. He was busy replanting uh, the new vineyard of the people of God. But he's also the Lord of the harvest. So he he knew when it was time to weed. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 13, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He knew the time to heal. When he performed the miracles of the kingdom, he made lame to walk, deaf to hear, blind to see. Jesus knew when it was time to break down. He drove the money changers out of the temple. And then, almost 40 years after his death and resurrection, Jesus judged Jerusalem. It was almost totally destroyed. Jesus knew when it was time to bolt. Think about the time uh, when he was talking to Peter and he asked him who do you say I am And he started building his church on the rock of Peter's confession that he Jesus was and is the Messiah the Christ Jesus knew the right time for every emotion it was time for him to mourn um, in John 11 Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus at Luke 19 Jesus wept over the souls that would be lost in the destruction of Jerusalem there were even times for Jesus to laugh and be happy In Luke 10, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit when his disciples came back from their first mission trip, having started to do the work of the kingdom. Maybe Ivor will preach it this Sunday, I suspect. Probably the next in the series. Jesus knew when it was time to seek lost sheep. Also, he knew when it was time to lose the goats that refused to hear his voice. He embraced the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all the other lost sinners who understood how much they needed the Savior. But Jesus did not embrace the scribes, the Pharisees, other proud people who insisted they were already righteous before God. He certainly did not embrace those who could not see that they needed the Savior. Jesus knew when it was time to speak and when it was time to be silent. Jesus did a lot of talking in the first, uh, those three years of his public ministry. He was telling stories, he was explaining the law, he was preaching the gospel. He was fulfilling his purpose, to bear witness to the truth. But when the time came for the trial on his life, he did not speak in his own defense. He was silent. He suffered in silent innocence. Luke Luke quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 7, when he says, uh, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before each shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. To the day that Jesus died, he knew the right time for everything, and he still does, today. He knows the time to love, to show mercy to lost and needy, needy sinners who ask him to be their saviour. He knows the time to hate, standing against evil and injustice, even today. He knows the time for war, as his church does battle against Satan, all the enemies of God. And soon it will be time for peace and the Son of God will make war cease to the end of the earth, bring us everlasting peace of the kingdom of God. From beginning to end, Jesus' timing is perfect. But what does it mean for us, uh, for me, for you? What does it mean? I think Jesus calls on us to make the best use of our time. Many people say the book of Ecclesiastes or Prerica, it's, it's like a very depressing book, a cynical book, And it really is a story of a life without God. So how do you avoid this futility of having a life without God in your life? Well, I think the only way you can do it is to um, spend the God-given time you've got in a meaningful way. If you call yourself yourself a follower of Christ, we need to measure time, not only as chronos time, that's what you read off on a watch, but the time in terms of opportunities to serve the Lord. Kairos time. We should make good use of whatever time we've got. Paul understood it well. He wrote to the Galatians, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And he wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. I guess Paul is telling each one of us to figure out how we can utilize our time in the most effective way for the work of the kingdom of God. Think about it this way. The time you have here on earth is a gift that God entrusted you with. It should be used carefully. You can't just waste it. As one Christian philosopher put it, he said, time is a dressing room for eternity. If you waste time, you've wasted the gift of God's grace. He graciously gave you that time on Earth. Don't waste it. Dr. Werner Gitt is a very well-known, uh, renowned German information scientist, an Evangelical Christian. And he's visited Africa many times uh, as part of outreaches, and he's got some very good stories to tell. And I just want to tell two of you of those stories and, and, uh, and tell you about it. One is he writes about a 70-year-old woman living in Chad, where French is the second official language. Um, she was blind, so she could not read or write. And by the way, Chad is a majority Muslim country. And But this lady, 70 years old, her biggest treasure was a French Bible. She regularly attended sermons at the missionary station. So she would just listen to the sermons. And one day she went to this missionary and she asked him to please, in this French Bible, highlight a favorite verse, and to place a bookmark on the spot. Then she went, every weekday, and she sat at the gate of school, the town's only school, and as children were coming out of school, she would hear them talking, and she would call them and say, please, can anybody read French? Now, of course, these children were quite proud, of the fact that can I start reading French? So they were happy to try and help her. And then the woman would ask him to read this highlighted verse to her. And they would read For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then of course a woman would ask them if they can explain to her what these words meant and they couldn't. And she would explain the gospel to them. She did this for 20 years. We don't quite know how many uh, people came to faith but we do know that 24 men became pastors or missionaries so uh, many thousands must have heard the gospel if you live in god's time in opportunities to serve god's time the number of years it takes doesn't matter African friend of Git from Ghana. Long time since I've seen Gilbert yet. Um, but this friend of him told him that there's a cemetery in Ghana, very old cemetery, and it contains many graves of the earliest missionaries that came to Ghana. Many of them only left weeks, some only days, before they um, died of malaria and other tropical diseases. And uh, generally, these stories are told on these tombstones. And I guess you would say, well, if you purely look at it from a human point of view, you would say, well, maybe they felt They achieved nothing. They died before they could do anything. But they went to Ghana on the command of God. And the time wasn't in their own hands. It was in God's hands. And Gitz, Ghanaian friend, finishes the story. He says, one day, I was walking across the cemetery and read the inscriptions on the tombstones. Something became clear to me. What great love from God must have filled these men to give up their lives so that they could bring the good news of salvation to others. He read these tombstones and came to faith. (coughs) Sorry. I don't think these missionaries wasted time. One person came to faith through the efforts. Many, many thousands came to, <coughs> came to faith. Sorry. I think the last point <coughs> I want to make: live your life knowing you're going to die. Hebrews 9.27, if you can get it up front, sure. It's appointed for man to die once. So after that, judgment. Will you be ready to be judged when the time comes? Please do not lie on your deathbed and think to yourself, why did I not accept Christ as my Savior? I did not plan to die today. Anybody who trusts in Christ, must be ready to die any time, uh, any day, any minute. Are you ready for eternity? Now I'm really gonna <laughs> battle. Some of you were here at Paul and <clears throat> Daughter's um, commemoration service, and you heard Paul make a, a passion plea to people to not wait till it's too late. More than a thousand people have already watched that YouTube video. Roof referred it to this morning. He made the same point. You don't know how long you have to live. But if you're not yet saved, what's holding you back? I don't know, maybe you've never understood the gospel. Maybe when you've got nothing better to do on a Sunday, you go to church, I guess it's a traditional thing to do. Maybe for you church is a place where you can catch up with your friends, who just like the music. But please be brutally honest and ask yourself, are you just playing church or are you deadly serious? that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. When I say deadly serious, what I mean is this. Would you rather give up, give up your life than give up Jesus? Then you're deadly serious. Ecclesiastes 3 <clears throat> began with, there's a time for everything. Because obviously, it also applies to God's call of his people. and I think this call is also for you, for everybody. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus, he was very curious, climbed in a tree. He wanted to see Jesus. And um, Jesus called him out of the tree. He spoke to him, told him what was necessary for his salvation, and he was saved. In Acts 16, the message of salvation came to the Philippian jailer late at night. And he took uh, Paul's advice to believe in the Lord Jesus. Um, and you believe, uh, Paul told him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And he found eternal life. In Luke 23 Thief on the cross called upon Jesus, the Lord of Eternity, and he was saved. I sometimes get a nosebleed, so I apologize if that's what's happening. Not. Now, if somebody asked any one of these people, Zacchaeus, Philippian jailer, thief on the cross, ask, ask him at breakfast, do you plan to be converted today? They probably would have burst out laughing. But God called them at the right time, and they were saved that same day. I think Jesus is inviting everyone that's not there yet and those of us who already are to again accept him as your personal saviour today. So uh, please do not wait another opportunity. You may be dead before you get another chance. And know this, one day soon Jesus will come again a second time. The second part of that verse we've just read So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, when He died on the cross, He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, that's done, finished, behind Him, that's on the cross, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him, those who have already previously accepted Him as Saviour. And Jesus will appear at exactly the right time, at the time His Father has appointed. But know this, when Jesus comes, you will be judged. Everybody is going to be judged. Don't think judgment's only for Christians. It's especially for those who are relying on their own righteousness or believe that they don't need God. They will be judged. Romans 2, verse 3 to 5 reads, Do you suppose a man that he will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your heart, an impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But of course, those who trust in Jesus as a personal Savior have nothing to fear. Jesus is inviting you to accept Him as your personal Savior today. Romans 8, verse 1 to 2 reads, There's nothing now, no condemnation for those. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Are you looking forward to Judgment Day? Are you looking forward to Judgment Day? If you feel you need to talk to somebody, uh, I I have contact details on the website can speak to any one of the elders, but please don't put off. Don't wait for a future time, there may not be one. I'll close in prayer. Lord, we sometimes struggle to understand why things happen to us when they do. Your timing is not always what it would like to be, but it's exactly what's required. Because you know everything that must happen in this fallen world. When we do not know what to pray and how to pray and how to call on you and ask you to be our own saviour, we know that the Spirit himself will intercede for us. Lord, teach us to consider our mortality that we may live wisely. And may everyone Listen to the sermon. Be ready to joyously meet you as a maker when the time comes. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.